Good greetings in the Master's name. Title of the message this morning is What Does It Cost? Or How Much Does It Cost? And I read an article here that was uh, in the CLP newsletter many years ago. The Man of Chains was a usual sight on the streets of Lahore, India for many years. He wore nothing but iron chains draped over his body. Sankowala, as he was called, had been very wicked in his youth. One day he decided to give up his wickedness. He began wearing a heavy chain to remind him to keep from sin. But still he sinned. So he added another link to the chain, then another and another. At his death, the strange garb weighed 670 pounds. Consider the Hindu who for 40 years cooked food in a charcoal brazier resting on his chest as he lay on the ground. In his younger days, he had once refused to feed a holy man, so for the rest of his life, he attempted to make amends for for this act by self-inflicted punishment. Then there is the old Indian pearl diver who felt he must work for his place in heaven. He felt God's offer of salvation as a gift was too easy. To make sure of heaven, he planned a 900-mile pilgrimage to Delhi, crawling the entire distance on his knees. The suffering will be sweet, he said, for it will purchase heaven for me. History reveals that one of the primary searches of man through the centuries has been to find the secret of obtaining favor with God. But this favor has been elusive as evidenced by the incantations of witch doctors, the fear of evil spirits, and the hopelessness of man's own efforts. Sanko's chain burden was light compared to his burden of sin. The Hindu's scorched chest was cool compared to his burning guilt. The pearl diver's prodigious pilgrimage would still have left him spiritually penniless. Forgiveness, peace, and favor with God are not matters of self-achievement. What does it cost to have the burden lifted, the guilt removed, to be a friend of God? What does it cost? You tell me. In our Sunday school lesson, the last couple comments, I said giving up all, giving up everything to be. Okay, but what did, what, okay, let's go back a little further than that. But what does it cost before that? It's a free gift. How? Through Jesus. Okay, so what did it cost? Okay, yeah, and it cost Jesus, and it was the cross. The cross. God's only Son crucified. What does it cost me then? And Joe already alluded to it. But it cost Jesus, the cross, and it cost me the cross. See, the one song we sang this morning was, was Must Jesus Bear the Cross Alone? Yeah, I thought about that. So, so what does it cost? The cross, my cross, myself, denied, mortified, crucified, that no longer I might live, but Christ in me. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15. Uh, do you know this? Have you all, how many of you have ever heard the song or familiar with the song, Let Me Burn Out for Thee? Let Me Burn Out for Thee. 
Okay, it goes like this. Let me burn out for thee, dear Lord, burn and wear out for thee. Don't let me rust or my life be a failure, my God, to thee. Use me and all I have, dear Lord, and get me so close to thee that I feel the throb of the great heart of God until I burn out for thee. I like that song. Let's, um, well, I was thinking about, yeah, a couple songs came to mind too. Uh, that thing of the, uh, of Christ and the cross. Let's see, the one, there's a song in here. Yeah, it's called, uh, For Me in our hymnal. It says, um, under an eastern sky, amid a rabble's cry, a man went forth to die for me, for me. Thus wert thou made all mine. Lord, make me wholly thine. Grant grace and strength divine to me, to me. In thought and word and deed, thy will to do. O lead my soul, even though it bleed, to thee, to thee. So a few, uh, some verses. Let's look up a few verses. Uh, first of all, in relation to what Christ did. Galatians 1, 4. Thinking about those examples, they were, they were all true examples. The, uh, the man of chains, the man who cooked food on his chest, the Indian pearl diver. Actually, there's a tract about that. And uh, the missionary is a Christmas tract. But uh, the missionary was able to show him the uh, inadequacy of his pilgrimage and and the um, the uh, sufficiency of Christ. So he, as far as I know, he did not make that pilgrimage then. But so what? But so what is the solution to our sin? So here we have it, Galatians one verse four who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Now, or, now next book, Ephesians 5, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And one more, Titus 2.14. Titus 2.14, who gave himself, all these verses say gave. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, uh, a, a special people, a treasured people, a purchased people. We've been redeemed and ransomed and brought back from slavery to Satan. Bought back. We've been bought back from slavery to Satan. So that's what, that's Christ. Christ, he gave himself for us. Now, the part for us, uh, Matthew 13. Matthew 13, 44 to 46. And these are two uh, parables about the kingdom of heaven. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth, and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. 
Now, wh- what does that mean? Wh- what does that mean for us? Wh- what do these verses, in what way are these verses for us? Now, I put something in your mailboxes, most of them I didn't have quite enough, but uh, about Morris Rubin. And he did exactly what these verses say. And so, uh, interesting account. It's an old tract that I made copies of. Luke 5, 27 and 28. And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. Very simple. Very simple. He left all. Notice that. He left all. Now, Mark 10, 28 to 30. Mark 10, 28 to 30. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all, and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. Now, there again, what do these verses mean for us? Have, have we left any of those things? Peter said, we have left all. And then Jesus said, left house, brethren, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, lands for my sake and the gospels. Have we left any of those things? And do we have to? Well, it depends on a person's situation. I guess we can be thankful that the setting we were raised in there, I mean, like a person who becomes converted as a young person, and maybe he's got a courtship that he needs to give up. When, well, I wasn't, okay, so in high school, I went to public high school, and I had a girlfriend, and, and it wasn't anything real... Um, Serious, okay. Uh, she was a brethren girl, but when I got more interested in spiritual things, that that discontinued, and it didn't really. It wasn't really like anything difficult for me because it wasn't that deep to start with. But I'm. But I'm, for some people, it it is. It has been already. Um. Okay. Here's a. I'll, I'll just read an example here of what some people have to do. His heart-pounding um, Razzel Gupta hurried into hiding to escape from angry family members who wanted to beat him. What did they have against him? He chose to follow Christ. A few months before, native missionary uh, Palab Singh met Razel, a member of the Brahmin caste, and the two struck up a conversation. As they talked, Palab had the opportunity to share about how Jesus had touched his life. He also explained the gospel to his new friend. 
After thinking about Pilate's words, Rosal ended up deciding to surrender his life to the Lord. At the church where Pilate serves as pastor, Rosal testified that he wanted to follow Jesus and he joined the congregation. But his new faith sparked frustration from his family members. Staunchly devoted to their traditional religion, his parents, in-laws, and even his wife chastised Rosal for his decision to serve Christ. Like many other Brahmins, they believe any connection with Christianity, which is often considered a low-caste religion, would make them impure. On July 25, this was uh, a number of years ago, Rosal's family members told him he must deny Christ and stop attending the church. His father-in-law and his uncle planned to beat him. Thankfully, Rosal was able to flee and find refuge at the home of a believer from his church. Rosal is still staying in the fellow believer's home. His friends have gravely warned him not to return home because his whole family is waiting to torture him. That's reality for a lot of people in the world. I was reading a, a Grace Press newsletter, oh, well, this was several years ago, and uh, the um, Grace Press, uh, it's, Egypt has changed, but they used to have the biggest book fair in the world, and uh, Grace Press would go over there, and they were allowed to have a little booth. Very, it was a very interesting experience, very interesting article. But then while we were there, they went on and, and went up the Nile and visited some, some believers. And uh, they were talking about Muslim background believers and how it's so dangerous. And like they gave an example of somebody who had to flee and they came back to check out something and they disappeared. And that's not unusual because the family members uh, take care of trying to um, um, save their honor by doing away with the people that become Christians. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, you're familiar with these verses. Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. And, it's, and, and King James says, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way. And that word because can be also could be translated how. And so, it, so Jesus was saying, how straight is the gate? How narrow is the way? Now, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for our forefathers? And it's interesting how, um, how uh, Martyrs Mira uh, von Braut uh, references that that passage, makes an allusion to that passage, but this is the um, page six, is the beginning of the author's preface. Now this book of martyrs, and this is how he starts out in the preface. But most beloved, do not expect that we shall bring you into Grecian theaters to gaze on merry comedies or gay performances. Here shall not be opened unto you the pleasant arbors and pleasure gardens of Atlas, Adonis, or Semiramis, which are said to have been built in the air, and of which the ancients used to sing their merry lays, Yet far be it from us to conduct you to places of sadness. Surely not to such as can and verity be called places of sadness. True enough, we shall lead you into dark valleys, even the valleys of death. Yet to look upon all this will not cause real sadness. For though the aspect of dismal according to the body, the soul will nevertheless rejoice in it, seeing that not one of all those who were slain preferred life to death, since life often was proffered them, on condition that they depart from the constancy of their faith. But this they did not desire. On the contrary, many of them went boldly onward to meet death. 
Among a great number we perceived a God-fearing hero, a knight of Christ, who advancing before others, went cheerfully unto suffering and death, in which he acquitted himself so well that he fought or pressed his way with such force through the straight gate that he left his flesh on the post. That's the way he, he referenced that passage and what it meant. And then um, there's a... Um, by the way, how many of you have a martyr's mirror in your home? Okay, a few of you. Good. Every, every home should have a martyr's mirror. Um, this is a letter from a sister to another sister in the church. Um, now we have before us the greatest or last enemy, which is death, but we have a strong comfort, which is the God of Jacob, who gives us strength when the need is greatest, though the billows, though the billows then come against us. We hope, as David says, by our God to leap over a wall, and with Paul to say, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, and we hope thus to press through. Even as Christ says, strive to enter in at the straight gate, for narrow is the way which leadeth into eternal life. And Christ further says that the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. O oh, my dear sister in the Lord, when flesh and blood must remain on the post and stakes, then is the time of the severest conflict. For Satan also well knew to say this when he tempted God-fearing Job. When flesh and blood are touched, then the true faith is tried as gold in the furnace, and then we must strive lawfully to obtain through grace the crown of eternal life. For it is written, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed with raiment, and I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And I will lead him to the fountains of living water. Well, that's just a part of her letter. But that's what it meant for them. But that's not where we are. So what does it mean for us? We don't live in India. We don't live in the 16th century. What does it cost us? I asked several people one time, once over a period of time, uh, how, do any of you here, do any of you here know Don Stelfox? Remember him? Okay, some of you do. Don Stelfox became a, um, I don't know if he's a Christian before or not, but he became interested in uh, Anabaptist uh, Mennonites uh, when he was a college student. And his dad said, if you follow through on that, I'm done with you. And and so when Don joined Mennonite Church, his dad said, there's the door. And he disinherited him. And so I asked Don, what did it cost you to be a Christian? He said, everything. I asked another person from non-Mennonite background, and, and I said, what did it cost you? And he said, nothing. He said, uh, see, I wrote it down here. He said, nothing. He said, it was all gain. He said, he would have been totally corrupted if he would not have chosen Christ. I asked a young sister, what, what did it cost you to be a Christian? Or what does it cost to be a Christian? And she said, she had a good answer. She said, my will, do what Christ wants and not what I want. And uh, I asked an older sister, in fact, it was Ruth Hobbs. I said, what does it cost to be a Christian? And she said, yourself, your own plans. Anything that comes between you and maintaining the pearl of great price the particulars may differ, but yourself and your will is universal, what it costs to be a Christian. Uh, John 5, verse 30. Now, this is what Jesus said about himself. Uh, turn, go on turn to these. these. These are powerful statements. John 5, verse 30. 
just the last half of the verse is all we need. While Jesus was here on earth, uh, John 5, verse 30, he says, I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. And the next chapter, chapter 6, verse 38, John 6, 38, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And John 8, verse 29. John 8, verse 29. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. I do always those things that please him. You know, we look at the life of Christ and uh, the power in that life, what Jesus did. And we sort of say, well, he was God, so, you know, he could. But he, he was totally dependent on his father. And, you know, he spent a lot of time in prayer. And he was more aware probably of spiritual warfare than we are. But part of his, I don't know, we talked about success this morning in Sunday school. Uh, if you want to say success, part of his success was the fact that he was totally just listening to and doing the Father's will. I've said already that we should be willless, and and and, and somebody corrected me. I forget how they said it. Uh, in other words, God's will should be our will. That should be our will. Not that we don't have any will, but we don't have our will. We have God's will. But but that's what it costs to be a Christian. Now. For us, the physical costs, the um, material costs, and so on, are not like it has been in, in, in history, many times in history, and it's not like it is many places in the world. But to give up our will and to do only God's will, that, that, that's demanding. That's demanding. Uh, can somebody quote me Luke 9.23? And he said to them all, the, the words are interesting. See, he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So, we take up our cross. And then Luke 14, 33, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Does that apply to us? Do we have to forsake all to follow Christ? We have to forsake all of our will. And, and there's, there, there are things in our setting, in our peaceful setting, in our pleasant communities, in our freedom, there's still plenty of room for us to deny ourselves. How do I use my time? I mean, technology is one of the greatest time robbers that has ever existed. I just, I mean, I'm not immune to that, but 
you pull up to a stoplight and the person in front of you, they don't go when the lights turns green. They're still looking at their phone. I mean, you can't even stop for 30 seconds of stoplight without looking at your phone. Uh, I'm just saying, but, but what, I mean, I'm, maybe we're not that addicted, but how do we use our time? Do we give that up? Do we give, do we give that up, our will, for Christ, for Christ's will? Our relationships, there's just all kinds of ways where we're called to deny ourselves. So, it's all about the song, the church hymnal, the title of it. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. There was a song, um, oh, by the way, I didn't tell you why I brought this book. This little book, Ripley's Believe It or Not, I don't remember where I got it anymore, but I've had it for a long time. But it's just full of oddities about religion. Not just Christianity, but it's really some weird stuff in here. Uh, and it had that example, that man uh, cooking that food on his chest for 40 years. Uh, but the uh, one song I thought about in here, uh, this is a book that Royce Drubar put together, singing to the Lord. And Lord, teach us how to pray. When cold our lips and far from thee our wandering spirits stray, and thoughts and lips move heavily, Lord, teach us how to pray. Hear every thought and fond desire we on thine altar lay. And when our souls have caught thy fire, Lord, teach us how to pray. But it says about laying everything on the altar. And um, there's, there's so many songs that express that thought. Um, many, a lot of people, one of their favorite songs, I think, is, uh, is George Matheson's song, Oh, Love That Will Not Let Me Go. We're talking about denying ourselves and... Um, I don't know, this wasn't necessarily self-denial, it was just simply his uh, internal suffering for Christ because he went blind, and uh, when he went blind, his his um, fiancée, I think it was, at least they was heading that way, and she said, well, she didn't think she could be married to a blind man. And so his sister, his sister became his helper and she helped him through college and everything. And, uh, and then on the eve of her wedding is when he wrote this song. Because he kind of, but he went on to continue functioning. But uh, it, it, is, it is costly to uh, totally give up our will and do always the things that please God. We'd evaluate every piece of our life with that, with what Christ said. I, I do always those things that please Him. I do nothing of myself. I, I don't think any of us could uh, quite honestly say that. Uh, I maybe shouldn't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. 
So what does it cost? Remember what it cost Christ. And he said, that is, that's for us too. See, what did uh, Paul say? Paul said, what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, Dallas, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but dung, that I may win Christ. 